0: Hey, this is Homer Hargrove, I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. I want to start off today's topic with a question. Do you think that generosity is a good quality to have in a person? Yes? Okay. Um, generosity, is it a good quality to have in a person? Most people say yes, and so let's broaden the perspective of generosity, a good quality to have in a community, in a group of people. Yes? yes. Yeah? Yeah? So, so? It changes, right? Once you get to like, well, everyone, I don't know, but in just one individual, yeah. And. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the need of generosity in a community, and in no way do I want this message to be perceived as a, as a trick or a ruse to get people to, to donate, um, but we're going to look into the aspect of generosity and how it really does um, fulfill a holistic community. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Good, and so today, starting off, I want to start off with the vision of Vision and how generosity sustains vision. Look at your neighbor and say I see you see you. See That's what vision is, right? You can see what's going on and vision is seeing a better future Whenever you hear an organization a church or anybody talking about the vision that they have for their life The vision that they have for their community. It's about seeing into the future of what it could be right it's, it's all about looking at potential and growth. And vision for anybody, for any organization, for any church, it has two legs. And that's people and money. And it cannot stand very long on one leg. Vision cannot stand very long on one leg. You can look at this in your own personal life. If you've ever had great dreams and aspirations, and you had the willingness to work hard, but have no money, it's really hard to fulfill it, isn't it? You want to start your own business, you want to really do something great, but without that initial investment of money, you have the person that's willing to do the grunt work, but you don't have the money to fulfill it. So you have vision without the resources to fulfill it. Does that make sense? In the same way, um, when it comes to a community, a lot of times we like the idea of just being just being people and the idea of generosity is like, well, we don't want to impose on anybody. We, you know, no one should do this or that, right? Have you, has anyone ever offered you something and your pride said, oh no, I can't take that. See, that's, that's kind of what we envision community would be like, but that's not really a healthy way of going about it. It's not a healthy community to live like that. And the truth is, no matter what kind of good intentions we have, it, that vision cannot sustain without both of those parts. You can have a whole bunch of money, but if nobody wants to be a part, then it's worthless. You can have a whole bunch of people, but if there's not any money for them to, to be able to use, then they're not going to be able to really walk out that mission. I once heard uh, a, a a missionary that was gonna go into, uh, going to go into Africa to be a missionary and witness to, to people and all that. And he told the as he was trying to raise funds for him to be able to go and reach people in, in a in a country that hadn't heard the gospel yet, um, he told the donors, I'll go down into the pit for us if you hold on to the ropes. And see, that's a that's a, a really beautiful analogy of what it's like for vision. Is going down into a pit, going it down into the unknown. And there's one person that's going down and doing the work, but there's no way he'd be able to go if people weren't holding the ropes. And I wanted to share this story in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10 through 12. This is after Israel had been, uh, they have been exiled, and now they're returning back trying to rebuild their country that was um, completely broken down. They're, and they even rebuilt the temple, um, rebuilt the walls uh, it, and they were just rejuvenating the country that was completely destroyed. And Nehemiah was kind of the one taking charge and helping lead all the people to do this. And so they had the people and, they, and the king sent all the resources for them to be able to build. There's no way that if the people went without the king's resources that they would have been able to build. And if the king sent all the resources, but nobody wanted to build, it would have not happen. And it gets to all the way to near the end of the the book in chapter 13, verse 10 through 12. It says, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. The Levites were those, the people group that was separated for the working of uh, of the temple. All the acts of worship, all the things that were done inside the temple were done by the Levites. Said that they had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God, the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back and again restored them their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil to the temple storerooms. What this story shows us is If we were to look at the temple as a church, that the the temple had all the people there that were ready to perform all the acts of worship, ready to lead people to God, to the presence of God, and all of that. But when all the people stopped giving to the temple, when they stopped tithing, what a tithe is, is giving 10% of your income to the temple, to the church, to provide for the needs of all the people there. And it says that when all the people stopped, that all the Levites had to go back to their ordinary jobs. And what it shows us is that people can have the heart, the grit, the willingness to do it, but without generosity of others, it still won't be fulfilled. Y'all dig what I'm saying? To the point where all, of the, all of the workers of the temple, they had, to, they had to just go back to doing the jobs that anybody can do. And so they weren't able to do the jobs that they were called to do. Y'all feel that? And so often people outside of a community end up investing into it the most because they see the potential more clear than even those within it. Notice that it says all the people living in Israel that are all going back to rebuild their country, stop giving. But the king who sent Nehemiah sent all the resources that they needed to be able to rebuild. But the people within the community weren't willing to do it themselves. And it's so common that people outside of the community end up investing more than those within it. Yet a community should strive to be independent within itself. To where it's self-sufficient as a community. So that its future won't be potentially twisted or controlled by those who reside outside of it. If the king had in ill intention, he could manipulate and try to control what kind of country Israel would to be like, what kind of temple it would be like, by, because he was the one providing all the, the resources for it. And that's, that's what commonly happens. I mean, that's, even in our country, that's why so many politicians are smeared, because they have to raise funds as much as they can, that their policies end up being dictated by those who fund them. Does that make sense? In the same way, in any community, that's often what happens over time when the people within the community aren't the ones that are generous towards it. But when you're in that community, you have the heart and you see the vision. You can see the vision so much clearer than anybody else if you involve yourself in that community. But it's only when you are generous within yourself, whenever you're sacrificial within yourself, that it truly connects your heart to what your community is walking towards. Y'all feel that? I want to give a, 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 another another story in 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 7, verse 9. This is Paul talking, and it's another situation where people with, outside of the church were giving towards Paul's ministry towards Paul's ministry to be able to help that church says when I was wrong, when was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return. I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I've never been a burden to you, and I never will be. You know, Paul is such a commendable person because he's telling this church, not once have you given me anything to live on, yet I give all of myself to you. And he's pretty much saying, thank God that other churches are willing to see your potential more than you do, and they supply all of my needs while I'm here with you. I mean, that to to those other churches, how, how amazing that they're supplying their own needs and sending Paul out to... To be able to send to minister to this church, and Paul's just just telling them, for you guys, y'all look at it as like, oh, well, he doesn't need it. He does this or that, and I have to quote unquote rob other churches just so that I could give you spiritual benefit, and he's giving this 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 whole exhortation to them to show them for their community to strive and to to grow into a healthy community that they have to develop a sense of generosity to where we don't cling so tight onto our lives where we lose the vision for our future lives. Does that make sense? Generosity to the vision is generosity to the next person. It's being generous to the next people that are after you to the next generation. What we have today is off of the giving of others before us. We would, we would have nothing if those people were not willing to sacrifice and give. And I want to look at this, this story in, with Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So this this part of the story is is something often overlooked when we're trying to do our own like devotionals. Like, I'm trying to catch something for me. Why Why would I pay attention to other people in the Bible? I just want to look at Jesus. This little segment, it's a sentence where it shows that others were providing the needs of Jesus, the son of God. I mean, Jesus performs all these miracles. He does. He literally heals the blind, but he doesn't have a paycheck. And it says that these, in this specific part, it says that these women, this, it says that one of Herod's business managers was providing for the needs of Jesus and his disciples. And see, because of this woman, uh, Joanna, it shows that because of her generosity, we are able to see the miracles today. We're able to um, uh, receive the teachings of Jesus today because she supplied the needs of his ministry. When you look at anything that is today, it's because of the generosity of others before us. Even those of you here today, even for Gravetop Church, uh, the only reason we're able to be here today is because of the generosity of those who sowed into this ministry before we came here. I was telling Derry and and Chris just uh, on Friday, the guys night, that the day before we moved here, we had uh, multiple people that, that were so generous and so to into this ministry to where we wouldn't have even been able to move here if it wasn't because of their generosity. And see, they, they saw a vision and they get nothing out of it besides what God has for them. They, were will- they wanted to be generous to something that didn't directly, physically involve them. But they did it because they saw the potential of you guys here today of those who would potentially be a part of this community, those who would potentially be a part of this church. And see, generosity to the vision is just that. It's seeing what what could be reached, of what could happen for that community. And seeing past it and willing to be generous and and so into that vision. Y'all feel that? See, one thing I learned working for my dad is... It's not. A lot of people think. Oh, you work. For, I used to work for my dad. and They think. Oh man, you must have had it so easy. I was like, no. He's <laughs> had no remorse. I when I remember the first time I I had an interview after working for my uh, at my dad's shop. The the manager that was interviewing me said. So what did you do at your dad's shop? I mean, what did, all did you do? And I said, well, I guess anything and everything but prostitution. <laughs> I had to do everything I could and and because the way that my dad is such a hard worker, I really quickly realized that if I didn't do it, he was going to do it. And sometimes when we ignore the work of something, we think that it will just go away or it will just work out. But the truth is that nothing is without cost to somebody. And so when I would skip one part, I would walk by later seeing my dad do it. And a lot of times in, in a community, we get kind of tunnel vision to where we don't see the full picture of how much we really do make a difference. And we think that it will just all work out someday. But it's at, it, really, it's at cost to somebody. Y'all dig that? And everything that we have today was at the cost of somebody before us. And so the other thing about generosity within a community, why it's important, is that it breeds goodness. We talked about how it sustains vision. But it also breeds goodness. Good, the word good, goodness, is often generalized and not fully appreciated as a satisfying quality that it is. Did you know that, uh, what do we say instead of saying, oh my God, oh my goodness, right? Did you know that goodness is is the name of God too? That Jesus says in the word that only God is good. And it's that word good, even though we use it so commonly today, it's kind of like awesome. Awesome can be uh, a chicken sauce now, awesome sauce. Man, this this uh, Canes, Raisin Cane sauce is awesome. But the word awesome is something so much greater than that, right? It's it's full of odds where you're literally, literally speechless. And see, goodness is a lot like that too. Is good is something so satisfying of a quality that you're, you're, you're content, you have peace, it it's comforting, it's life-giving, and generosity creates a culture of kindness and good nature. And this behavior attracts likeness and behavior in nature. Um I realized since I didn't was not raised in church, I often heard the saying like, oh, like the church the church is in the book of Acts. And I never knew what that meant until I actually read this the the book of Acts and got to see what they were talking about. And Consistently in the book of Acts, the early churches, one of the the most defining qualities about them was how they were so generous with one another. Let me read you all Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And see, what we see is is almost like the original vision of communism, right? Uh, where everything's just equal. Those who are rich will uh, supply the needs for the poor. But it, it's something so much more special than that. One, because in in different glimpses of scripture, we see that none of these early church members were obligated to give like that. None of the early church members were even asked to sell their properties or their fields or whatever to be able to pay for those in, who were in need. But they they had such a generous heart after receiving Christ that that it was something they did out of the abundance of God's goodness in their life. And and. In similarity, the, the term sowing a seed off, uh, of generosity invokes a reaping of generosity. You know, we, we've had a lot of messages before where we talked about the, the, the ill messages about sowing a seed in order to receive something. And often in, in church culture, giving has been something like slandered now. It's almost like a, a cuss word, especially for those who are not used to going to church, because we've seen the misuse of money so much in churches to where it, it almost becomes disgusting. If you've seen televangelists and you see their lavish living and you, you see the, the people that are giving to them, it, it seems like there's not a good mediator. But, and, and there's so many scriptures that are out of context and in use with the intent for people to give to receive something. The Bible says to give out of a cheer, cheerful heart. It it doesn't imply that we should give with the expectation to receive. Y'all y'all dig that, but the idea. But even with that, that Scripture makes it clear of what that everything we sow we reap, and and. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10, Paul says to the church of Galatia, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. This verse is probably one of the most encouraging verses to me, because what one thing about generosity is there's moments where you feel like you get on a spurt of being generous and being good, doing good to others, and there's a moment where you feel like you're empty, right? It's like, man, I've, I feel like I've been doing good. I feel like I've been trying, and things have just gotten worse for me. And when you look at the scripture, it, it, Paul is almost like he knows that's going to happen to us, and it says, don't grow tired of doing good. Don't grow tired of doing good, that one day it's going to pay off. And the, the sacrifices you've made right now will be a glimpse to what we have in the future. And it's not it, generosity is not always financial, it's even just time and energy. When you, I mean, if you help a person move, it doesn't cost you money per se, but it costs you time and energy, right? And when you, like, you know who your good friends are when they help you move, right? <laughs> it, and when they show up and they, they're sweating and breaking their backs, moving your furniture, it's like, man, how can I ever repay you? And are like, oh, don't worry about it. See, that, that goodness that they showed you is something that, that produces a kindness in y'all's relationship. All of a sudden, you appreciate that person more, don't you? you? You see them more as a friend than you did before. And it causes you to show that same kind of goodness back to them. When they ask you to help you move, you'd be the first one to show up, the first one to say, yes, I got you. And that's what goodness does is it breeds that kind of kindness Generosity breeds that kind of kindness kindness and goodness within a community to where that's what the Bible is implying for us to behave with each other. Not just one friend or two friends, but in a community as a church, that that's the way we're supposed to live with one another. And it's only when we are willing to be generous that it breeds that goodness in nature. To where we're willing to show up, to where we're willing to invest into others. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And, And finally... What generosity does is it, it's a practice of trust. It practices trust. Ultimately, the, the act of reservation or uh, the act of or the reservation of generosity is embedded in our trust. It's embedded in our, our willingness to trust God, ultimately. And naturally, it's embedded in, the, in how, we're, uh, how we trust those we're trying to be generous to. How many of you guys have ever given to someone on the street before? How many of you guys have heard somebody say, well, I don't give, I wouldn't give to them or I don't give to them because they're going to just use it on drugs. How many of y'all heard that before? How many of you guys have still given anyway? See, I want you to think about that, that idea for a second. Why would you give to somebody that you had the idea was going to use it for something that was going to harm them? because it's not about their stewardship of that money that you're giving to them, but it's about the simple principle of doing it to simply be generous because you believe someone ought to. And with trust, we often think that we're supposed to trust the stewards of our generosity. That's what that controlling mindset is like, well, you shouldn't give to them because they're just going to use it on drugs. See, that's, that's a lack of trust in the individual, and ultimately a lack of trust in God that sees you. And that's what that is what our culture has turned towards church. You don't you don't want to give to the church because they're just going to use it on their their Mercedes or their Bentley. Like y'all see my car, right? <laughs> my Corolla's been in the driveway for <laughs> three months now. But it, it's like a common like idea, like those at Joel Olstein's church, oh man, he's got him brainwashed. Can't believe people are giving to, at his church. Why are they still giving? His church, he's making, they, you know, they, that their one Sunday makes over a hundred thousand dollars, just one Sunday. And when we hear a number like that, we think that goes all to Joel Olstein. It's, that's ridiculous. You know how much electricity costs to, to run a stadium for AC alone? All of, the, all of the different moving, all the employees that they have, all the people that they have, just because it's a large amount doesn't mean that it, it just goes to one person, that it's all bad stewarded. But because of, like we said earlier, we, you hear a, a story about one televangelist, one person that was misusing their money. That was a, it, it seemed like they were like shorthand of stealing from people the way that they were mishandling the money, right? We hear a couple of those stories and we, we throw all of the church into that pot. And then we have a reservation like, well, we can't trust churches. We can't trust churches. And the, the fact of the matter is that that is not what, when the Bible talks about giving and about being generous, that it never has any connotation to the trust of the person that we're giving it to. All the way back to Abraham in Genesis, when he gave to the the high to King of Salem, who was also a, a priest, it, it was priest Melchizedek. It says that he was a representation of God, and that when Abraham brought home all the spoils of a war, that he gave ten percent to this this King of Salem, and that's the first time we ever see a tithe given in the Bible. It's in Genesis in this one. It's part. Then we see it later in uh, with with Jacob and we say see it later uh when, with the country of Israel when it becomes a, a law within them with their their country and every part of the way and God never puts connotation to the stewardship of our generosity but what he always uh implies with it is that's a connected trust to our trust in God that that generosity that 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 commitment of 10% is a trust in God. That even when Jacob decided to start tithing 10% of all of his income, he said, God, I'm going to do this because I trust you to provide for me, to protect me, and to give me peace in the land wherever I go. And see, it, it almost like doesn't make sense if we look at it from an investment standpoint. Well, if I invest 10%, then my dividends from God will be kingdom economics of such and such. That's not, even, that's not what the Bible really implies. It's as simple as like a constant tap on your heart. A constant tap on your heart because the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? That the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that money, the tool, is the root of all evil. The love of it. And Jesus says that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever you spend your money, that's where you, your heart really is. And so we see so much connection to the heart and money. And so when we see in the Bible where God institutes this idea of generosity, He institutes the idea of even tithing 10%. What it really does is it keeps a constant check on our heart. It keeps a, cost, a constant tap on where our heart is with God. And the times that I am cling more tightly to my money are the moments that I'm lacking trust the most. I mean, if you don't think that money is directly connected to your heart, start using cash. Because when I buy something, and I I use it, I'm just like, I feel it leaving my soul. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, especially when you get a bill at a restaurant, and it's more than you expected, you're like, oh my God. I I wasn't willing to invest my heart into this. It... It's so connected to our hearts. And when we practice generosity, what's it really doing? It's connecting our hearts to that community. It's connecting our hearts to those people, to that vision. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And it, it ultimately practices a trust with God. And knowing, just like in Galatians, that whatever we sow, God will repay us. In some way or another. And that what we're really doing... When we're generous, what we're really trying to do is show the heart of God to others. You know, I'm I'm a, the director at Holmes High School for YFC, and we have our Christian clubs at this, the high school right after school. Um, and one thing that we practice is being generous to the students. And there's only there's only five volunteers. That's me, including myself. Only five leaders that show up, that volunteer their time to go to the school. And, and minister to these kids and connect with these kids. And they go a, an extra step is that each of us pitch in a certain amount of money so that we can buy food for the kids. So that when they come, they can eat something when they get there. And that's, that's like one thing, right? But what we say is that no kid is obligated to stay all the way to the lesson. That even if they just wanted to come in and grab food and leave, that they're able to do that. That we had a... Uh, hot Cheetos and cheese, because that's how we roll. And we had so many kids that flooded. We had over 60 kids flood into this, into this snack bar area, get chips, and leave right away. In fact, that day, we only had 20 students stay for the lesson. And But every single time, we're generous to them. Because we're, we want to show the goodness of God to them. And they see it now. They see that the the food that we give is unconditional in the same way that God's love to them is unconditional. And that's really what we're getting at, is that generosity to the core is an unconditional thing that God wants us to have. And I think the the clearest image of generosity is seen in Jesus. I, I, I saw this for the first time I've never seen this, this imagery before in the story. But let me read you all Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. This is Jesus, and he says, On their arrival in, in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? What it is is the tithe, the offerings to the, the, the temple. And Peter replied, Yes, he does. Then he went into the house, but before he had the chance to speak, Jesus asked him, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they have conquered? They tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well, then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them. So go down to the lake, throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. This is a bizarre story where apparently we should all be... uh, jumping into the lakes looking for fish because there's silver coins randomly in a fish. But what we see is, one, Peter Peter lied for Jesus. When he says, yes, he does, he was saying that in faith, like, I'm sure he does. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus does. And he had no idea what, it, before he could even ask Jesus, Jesus answers him. And we see that the most important part I want us to, to catch here is that Jesus has Peter pay the temple tax for the both of them. Now, what does the temple tax provide for? The, The priests there, right, of that temple? The temple tax provides for the Pharisees and the religious leaders in that area. And now, let's go later on into the story. It says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 through 16, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And for those of you all who don't know, Judas is the one that betrays Jesus that led him all the way to the cross and crucified and died for our sins. But the connection to these, these two parts of the story is that Jesus pays the tithe. He pays the, the temple knowing that that very money was going to be used to pay against his own betrayal. Think about that for a second. Jesus, Jesus knows what's going on. He already knew that he was going to be betrayed. And he, was, he gave to the temple knowing that it was going to be used to pay for his betrayal. I mean, that's bad stewardship, right? I mean, I think when churches start paying for murder, that's like where I'm going to say that enough is enough, right? (laughs) But it says that Jesus still paid this this temple, gave that offering, gave that that tithe, that tax, even though he knew it was going to be a part of his own betrayal. And what I feel like it symbolizes the most is Jesus' trust in the Father, the trust in the Father, that he is so not dependent on the conditions of stewardship with his generosity that he's willing to, to give just because of the simple fact of it being generous. Because of the simple principle of it being unconditional, something of his heart. And when you look at how much time and energy did he give to the people, he, when, it says that he spent three years in this ministry, uh, starting at 30, Three years giving all of his time, all of his energy to these people to, to heal the sick, to heal the blind, to, to give the good news, to, to to preach to all these people and show them the good news of the gospel. And what it, it says that what did they do to him? They shouted, crucify him. And we think about the simple idea of unconditional love. Jesus shows his trust in God and his generosity, and his time, his resources, and his energy, by giving to those he knew would destroy him. Of course, it's all part of prophecy. It's all about, you know, he already knew that it was going to be the payment for the sins of the world, but the, the principle that he is showing us is that this is a, a practice of trust in our heart with God. Now, if Jesus wanted to, when, G, when the devil tempted him on the mountain, said, you can have all of the kingdoms of the world if you just... Bow down and worship me. It was one of the temptations of Jesus. And he refused, of course. The reason it was a temptation is because he knew that he wouldn't have had to act with so much generosity to the people that were going to hurt him. But he, he knew that that, that, simple, that simple part right there was a lack of trust in the Father. And when we boil down all of our hearts in those moments that we cling tightly to whatever it is, Time, energy, money. Every time it's, it boils down to a lack of trust somewhere. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so with that being said, I want us to, to bow our heads and close our eyes. And this idea about generosity being something that we need in community. The first place that we have to start is looking at the generosity of God. And if you're here right now and there's, there's a part of you, there's something within you that knows that there's a, a spot for, for you and God to be made closer. Maybe there's been reservation in your heart in trusting God somewhere. There's been something that you haven't been willing to, to really give to Him because you're afraid. But today, right now, you, you want to break that and you want to you go all in with Christ. If you want to do that for today, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. And so what I love about the Bible is that in Romans, it says that we're able to start or even start again with a simple conversation, a simple conversation with God it says, "If you just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, it will happen. You you'll be saved from whatever you're running from. You'll be saved for from eternity. You'll be saved in so many aspects. But it starts with the conversation, and it starts in your heart. And so, if you raise your hand." Or if you, you are already in that committed spot with Christ, I want you to pray this prayer to you as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Jesus, you have been very good to me. You have been generous with your love. You've been generous with your spirit. You've been generous with your blood. And right now I ask that you wash over me. I ask that you fill me. I ask that you make me new. Make me yours right now. Be the Lord of my life, all of my life, and the Savior to my soul. You are the Son of God, and I put my trust in you right now. I know that you died on the cross for me, everything that I've done, everything that I will do, and I know that you rose from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, GraveTop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the GraveTop Church Podcast.